We've all heard of women's intuition, right? Well, men have intuition as well. Intuition is so important when it comes to feeding ourselves and our families in our challenging food environment. This podcast explores a variety of topics related to a powerful, evidence-based eating framework called intuitive eating that integrates instinct, emotion, and rational thought. My hope is that it will help you finally break free of the perpetual diet cycle. This is the Men's Intuition Podcast. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Men's Intuition Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Jeff Ash, and I'm really excited today. I have a special guest that's going to be talking to us today. And today we're going to be talking with Katie Harvey. And Katie is a non-diet dietitian and specializes in intuitive eating and body acceptance. She's based in Kansas City. And through her online resources and programs, she teaches people from all around the world to listen to their bodies, trust themselves with food, and ditch diet culture. Katie is also the host of the Rebuilding Trust with Your Body podcast, which happens to be one of my favorites personally. So I'm really excited to have her on the show here. And um, our topic for today is going to be how men can help support their female spouses or partners on their intuitive eating journey if they are not themselves quite ready to move away from dieting and a weight-centered um, and weight-centered fitness. We're also going to be talking about how fathers can support their kids and overall uh, their attitudes around food and body image when the mom is working on intuitive eating, and how to prevent kids from having body image and uh, food related issues as they grow up. So we have a lot to cover today, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. So welcome, Katie. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here, and I think this is going to be a great topic. I think it's going to be something that people can share with others in their lives mm -hmm. and that will be really helpful and supportive, and um, I'm just glad to be here. So let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's been one of my hopes to have a nice resource that we can direct people to yes. uh, when whenever this comes up, because I know it's a it's a common uh, scenario. So yeah. um, so let's just dive into some of the questions I have for you. Sure. All right. Well, first off, I wanted to ask you, you know, I assume, as is the case with many dietitians, you didn't really start off your career as a non-diet dietitian. Uh, tell me how you found your way to using non-diet approaches and then intuitive eating in your practice. Yeah, I would say for the most part, I mean, maybe even universally, dietitians are trained in a very weight-centric way. That's our schooling, that's our, our internship and our training. And so that was how I was taught. And that's how I practiced when I first got started. So when I was in grad school, when I first came out of grad school, I was working uh, at a breast cancer prevention and survivorship clinic. And we were doing clinical research on basically like how do you prevent breast cancer and then how do you prevent it from coming back in people who have survived it. And there was a lot of research around how typical it is for someone who goes through breast cancer treatment to gain weight as a result of that treatment, often because it puts them through menopause and that that weight gain correlates with increased risk of recurrence. And so we were doing these studies where basically we were putting them on a diet to help them lose weight, assuming that we were helping them not get cancer again. And it played out exactly like all diets play out, where they would lose weight while they were on our program, and then they would regain it. And we were doing DEXA scans on them, which measures body composition and bone density and things like that. And what we found was 
that when it was all said and done, by the time they had lost the weight and regained it, their body composition was worse off than before we ever even touched them. So from a biomarker and and from a risk standpoint, we had effectively now just increased their risk of them having cancer. And of course, their body image is in the dumps over this and they feel terrible about themselves. They're anxious because now they're worried about their cancer coming back. And to me, we were doing so much more harm than we were doing good. And I had already been introduced to the idea of intuitive eating at this point. And this was where I really dove into the literature to understand it. And I brought this literature. I still have the binder of studies that I printed out. I brought it to my boss. I was like, I think we need to do a mindful eating study. And she basically laughed at me. And so that was where I started to mentally check out of that job. And I stumbled upon who became my mentor and my clinical supervisor online. And she was the one who basically trained me to become a non-diet and an eating disorders dietitian. And it was like the moment that I met with her that I knew like that's what I'm meant to be doing. Like it just immediately clicked. So. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a great, uh, great story of you. You were seeing that. And it's interesting that you talked about the, how those body composition changes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a lot of people don't realize that when they go into these calorie deficits and these diets that, if, if you're just going, you know, if you're just eating less that you tend to lose a lot of muscle mass. I mean, there, yeah, you know, exactly. there are ways to mitigate that to some degree with weight training, but it's, you know, it, in general, you know, if you just go on a diet, um, yeah, you're going to lose that, that muscle. And then when you gain that weight back, you're going to increase the fat to muscle ratio. Right. Yep, and, um, exactly and I'm sure the body happened. image issues were already challenging for right. women that had gone through breast cancer, especially if they'd had mastectomies and exactly. other things like that. Cause my wife, my first wife, uh, late wife had gone through breast cancer and had a mastectomy. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, there are definitely yeah. those kinds of those, th- that's a whole other set of issues on top of just the normal kind of run of the mill body image issues that, that yeah, women for sure. experience, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I can't keep doing this to people. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you made that transition pretty quickly or fairly I early did. on in your career. Yeah. I was probably a year out of grad school when I made that oh, wow. transition. Yeah. It didn't take very long. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Cause you know, a lot of, I, you hear a lot of stories where people did this for years and years and then they, yeah. then they made the transition. So, um, so that's great. Well, I, I know your non-diet academy is aimed at women. And uh, do you also work with men in other parts of your practice or primarily women? Yeah, so I I do work with men also. Non-Diet Academy, and just for context for people listening, it's an online course. It's aimed more at women, like it comes from more of a female lived experience, Mm -hmm. and and it's what I know best. Like the core content is still applicable to men, but it might not resonate as much the way that I'm presenting it. Um, but in my private practice where I see people one-on-one, I definitely work with men. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day cause I was like, I wonder what percentage of my caseload is male. And right now I, I added it up and I think I have like seven or eight men that I'm working with right now. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy working with them. It's, it's nice to create a safe space for guys to be able to talk about some of this stuff that's not as socially acceptable, like body image and, and things like right. that. So yeah, I enjoy working with men, but I would say like 
the percentage wise, it's more women that mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that they gravitate towards me per se. I think that it's women are more likely to reach out for support in this area. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, that's something that, that I've, I've talked about on a number of occasions. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I know a number of females in this space were really excited that there was a guy that was yes directing attention toward other men with intuitive yeah. eating because it is predominantly um, female voices that we hear in that space. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me too much. But um, well, with your focus on women, do you find that their male husbands or partners are generally quite supportive of their intuitive eating journeys or well, and movement away from kind of intentional weight loss and and the typical fitness mentality? Or uh, is there some pushback or some are there some challenges that they deal with in that area? I've really seen the gamut with this. So some partners are super supportive, like no matter what their loved one is doing and, you know, they'll do whatever they can to support the process, especially if you give them a little bit of guidance, they can kind of take that and run with it. I do find that that the guys like to be given very like concrete, tangible actions that they can do. They, they like that. <laughs> so some of, I definitely see that. Then I see this other category where like, some guys are just kind of hands off and especially if they've seen their wife or their girlfriend do a lot of dieting, they might think like, Oh, here we go again. It's just like another thing. So they kind of smile and nod and they just, you know, kind of let them do their thing, which in some ways is useful. Like just that the person has space to work through their stuff and figure it out themselves. And then I've definitely seen people whose spouses are like blatantly against intuitive eating. They will challenge the validity of it. They want to get into these scientific debates. And that can become really hard because then it becomes this battle of who is right, you know, quote unquote. And that can be very frustrating for both parties. So. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would be the case. And and especially in certain relationships too, because I think that you know, some some relationships there there is very much this open communication, and uh, and uh, each partner is is seeking genuinely seeking the best interest of the other one. And there's kind of a um, you know you often hear of marriage is fifty fifty, and then you also hear that no, it should be a hundred a hundred to where both party parties are giving a hundred percent to the marriage. And so in those cases, I'm sure that that's a bit uh, easier f- to navigate that as opposed to the one where where one may be somewhat disconnected or there may already be tension in the in the relationship because you know even just general day-to-day tensions over getting the kids to practice and and jobs and those kinds of things and now on top of that you're adding this whole new thing that that is um being introduced into the relationship and and it can carry over into how how um, mom may want to now feed the children in a different way and talk in a different way. And so, yeah, I can see how that could be really challenging for sure. Yeah. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as communication goes too. In fact, I just had someone who's in my online program right now. She shared that she was trying to explain this to her husband and we were kind of talking through, how do you explain this to someone who doesn't understand what you're talking about when you say intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. And she said that once she explained to him the amount of just pain and suffering that she has been through with dieting and her body image, 
that like he finally got it and he felt so bad that he had no idea that that was such a big struggle for her. Mm -hmm. So even just opening up about why you're interested in it can be really powerful and having that type of dialogue without even having to get into the nuts and bolts of like, what are you actually doing? Yeah, that's a great point too, because, you know, sometimes I, I just simply opening our heart to the other person can can make a big difference. If it obviously again it comes back to the specific relationship. And so you do have to have that that other person who's willing to engage in that way because unfortunately, you know, some relationships, one person or the other is not willing to that you know, they're not they just don't seem to be interested in or engaged in those kinds of discussions. And so um so I'm sure that that can be really difficult. And not to be stereotypical, but I think that probably more men struggle with that side of things in general. Uh, would you agree in your yeah. experience in dealing with men and women? I would agree. Yeah. That it's, and I think so much of that is how we are like raised and socialized that it's not as yeah. okay for guys to even talk about things or feelings, you know? Right. Yeah. To, to uh, show any kind of vulnerability yes. or anything like that. Because I do think those conversations that that we would have with our female partners, even if they're the ones coming to us trying to share their heart, we have to have some vulnerability there too, and and start to reflect back on maybe the language that we're using, the jokes that we make, the uh, just the, the terminology that we use, and how we even how we compliment our our uh, spouse or our partner. You mm -hmm. know, I, I can kind of think of you know if I'm if I'm referring to my wife and or you know her girlfriend or whatever the case may be and always referring to her physical attributes of beauty thinking that i'm complimenting her and encouraging and and supporting her and saying oh yeah you look great in those jeans are very flattering and and oh that outfit yeah that's great you look it's very flattering on you and you know we're sort of reinforcing where they may be be struggling and that kind of thing. So, right, because it kind of sends the implied message that what you look like is the most important thing about you. And that's not, of course, that's not the intention, but it's what I think gets kind of internalized, even at the subconscious level. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, definitely. So um, what are the biggest complaints or frustrations or challenges that women in your group or, or even your individual coaching uh, tend to share with you as they kind of specifically relate to support from their spouse or their partner or uh, maybe other close men in their, you know, in their lives, like fathers, grandfathers, uncles, friends, brothers, you know, all those, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it can come from all these different angles for sure. I think in general, like comments, no matter how well-intended or whether it's a joke, but comments about another person's weight or their eating behavior can be mostly unhelpful that, you know, even if you're just commenting on someone walking down the street or someone on a TV show or a movie that you're watching together, it gets filtered through the person who's struggling with their own body image. It gets filtered through, well, what are they thinking about me? Or, you know, they must think that I look terrible if they think she looks terrible, it, you know? So the comments are not useful, usually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And, and any guys listening, that's I think that's one of the things that it's really easy for us. Again, we we think we're helping. We want to help. 
we want to support. And those can be very well-meaning comments uh, that we make toward our spouse. But at the same time, um, yeah, it's just exactly what you said. It just reinforces many of those things that they're that they're struggling with. And so, um, so I think it is, mm -hmm. I think it's important, not only the language we use around them, but like you pointed out general comments about coworkers or somebody you see on the street or in a movie. And, uh, yeah, those, those things can really build and, and, uh, just reinforce those, those negative ideas, unfortunately. Right. And touch a nerve without even realizing that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I also think like any type of food policing your partner, even if they I've had clients who will like ask their husband or their boyfriend to basically food police them. And I'm usually like, are we sure about this? <laughs> because let's think about how <laughs> yeah. this is going to play out when he makes a comment. And in the moment, you're not so happy that he's making that. So it's just a slippery slope. It's not their job to food police you like we all need to be managing our own eating and doing that work within ourselves and it's having someone else try to be in charge of like monitoring your food intake in any way is it just sets up a really icky dynamic so i i yeah. tend to steer people away from that yeah that's a that's a good point i i guess i wouldn't have thought that that would be the the case with with women actually asking, you know, especially mm -hmm. since if I recall, there is may, might be a principle that refers to the food police and intuitive eating, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's something about that in the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it actually uses that same term even, uh -huh. doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like it's not helpful to have our own internal food police. We don't want to assign mm -hmm. ourselves an external food police. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I challenged my internal food police, but I, I what I did is I gave that that job to somebody else. I, yeah, yeah. Outsourced it. I outsourced it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Another kind of similar thing that I see happening a lot is just like health trolling, basically. So a common scenario that will play out is a woman decides to stop dieting. She starts eating intuitively. And as you know, in those early stages of intuitive eating, it's you're bringing back in a lot of those foods that you weren't allowing yourself to have. And so arguably, a lot of times eating does look kind of weird or unbalanced. And the other person is kind of watching like, are you sure you want to be doing that? And when they start health trolling, like, "Ooh, are you sure that's good for you? Like, you don't want to you know, give yourself heart issues or diabetes or things like that, like kind of the fear mongering and saying there, you know, there's no way that this is a healthy thing that you're doing again, not helpful. And it's, it shows just kind of a lack of understanding of how intuitive eating really works. Because if you look at the science behind it, it actually in the long run, it is much more health promoting and dieting's not. But most most people, if you've never even heard of intuitive eating, you wouldn't know that, that the research supports it. So I get that the health trolling comes from a caring place most of the time. But again, not helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, because, well, you know, I had a, I had a client recently, a female client, and uh, and one of the things that, that she was working on was you know, when she'd go out to a restaurant ordering what she wanted. Even mm -hmm. if it was way more food than she knew she could eat and not feeling like she had to finish it if she ordered it, but also not um, not compromising or sacrificing on enjoyment of that meal when she was out. 
in an effort to eat an amount of food that, you know, like to order something that she knew she could finish. And so this one was located in the UK and in particular went out for a full English breakfast, which is, if you're familiar with that, it is this massive, lovely, amazing thing. When I was in the UK, I ate it every day. (laughs) Well, yeah. This is just amazing. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) but she went out and she said she knew going in that that's what sounded good. Uh, but she knew she wouldn't even eat a third of it. And she didn't. She stopped when she was full. And um, and her husband said, made made one quick comment was, oh, um, are you sure that you want to order something that big? That's a lot of food. She said, yes, I do. And she left it and and, you know, ended up because they had traveled out of town. And so they couldn't take it with them. And it ended up being wasted. But she enjoyed the meal. And it was it was really cool. And so it was really kind of an empowering thing for her. And so um, in reflecting on that in this conversation, I think that's something that us guys can be really sensitive to that, you know, our our female, our wives, our partners may do things like that from time to time where they order something and end up wasting food. And and if we can keep our comments to ourselves, that can that can definitely be really helpful. Even if in the back of our mind we're like, "Okay, you just spent thirty dollars on that, and you ate about five dollars worth of it," you know, because it yeah. is, you know, it's yeah. there's that natural tendency. But um, I was thinking that too as you were talking about, like, yeah, don't make comments about the money being spent and and all of that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, imagine if that woman was already having a really hard time ordering the breakfast she wanted because Mm -hmm. she feels really guilty about these foods, but she's challenging that, that little comment of like, are you sure you want that much would so easily fuel that guilt? Like, oh, it is unhealthy or that is too much food. What am I thinking? And then she might change her order, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's again, like, I'm sure it just comes out. And luckily she was in a strong enough place to be like, yeah, this is what I want. But that so easily could have gone the other way, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, now this is this is kind of a question I would have. So if if a guy is listening to this and not really into intuitive eating yet, is it helpful? Would it be helpful for a man? And again, I know this we can't generalize to everybody because everyone's different, but in general, would it be helpful for a guy to say, hey, you know, if if he knew that his uh wife was struggling with ordering what she really wanted because of the size of it, to say, Hey, would you like to split that we could split that meal together and then you don't have to worry about that food waste or anything you know thinking through from from my my analytical mind that seems like it would be effective um ha- have you seen that happen and and is would you say that's an effective way of approaching it or would that be something f- for guys to shy away from hmm. i think it really depends <clears throat> so for some people, totally like, yeah, let's just share. And and then maybe even that's an opportunity like and we can also get an appetizer dessert yeah. to make sure that everybody is full. You know, mm-hmm. I can also think of other people who are like, no, I do not want to have to share my food. I don't want to have to worry about like, did we each get half and like, is right. that enough? And so it kind of depends on the person and where they're at. And um just kind of knowing that dynamic. My husband calls that mm-hmm. reading the room. You got to read the room. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. I used that that same term the other day. I, I told somebody to read the room when they were well, asking about something in particular. And so, yeah. yeah, I think that's great. I think that's a great point to make. And um, part of why I asked the question was to, to I, anybody that's listening, there isn't a a certain right or wrong way of approaching intuitive eating. Exactly. 
It's like with therapy, there's no right or wrong way of doing therapy. It's going to look different for everyone. We all have completely different circumstances that, that, you know, that lead us, even if we're, we find ourselves in the same place as another person, there's so many other circumstances that, that drive us there. Uh, You know, I had a conversation recently with somebody about sexual trauma as a child, and you have those where the trauma leads the person down a path of, you know, you know, into drugs and alcohol addiction or other kinds of addiction. And in another one, it leads them to body shame and dissatisfaction. And another one might end up adjusting quite, quote, normally, you know, throughout that process, just depending on other circumstances and how their brain processes it. And, and there's so many different ways to, to experience the same kinds of things. And so uh, I think it's important we understand that there's yeah, we, we, we can't, unfortunately, just pull out the playbook and say, you know, do this, do this, do this. And yeah, hopefully get people that are listening are getting the idea here to, to really look at your own situation and, and, um, and, and do what, what's going to work best for you. Yeah. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, it's, it's yes. okay to realize like, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. And to just go back mm-hmm. and apologize and say, Hey, I feel bad that I said that. I know that wasn't cool. Or to check things out to say, Hey, would it be helpful if I offered to split an entree with you? Or do you not want me to do that? Like just ask the other person what they want and, and put that yeah. back on them. If you're not sure, that's totally okay to do that. Yeah. That's a great point. Sometimes it's just a matter of of asking. And, and of course, mm-hmm. if any women are listening too, be open to that. And that can be helpful yeah. for, for us guys. I was talking about the same concept or the same topic on another podcast recently. And, and I said, some, a lot of us guys like to be told what not to do specifically, like mm-hmm. don't do this, don't do this and don't do this, but also exactly what to do. So yeah. can you do this and this and this? Yes. And, you know, I know sometimes we'll say, you know, why don't you just tell me what to do? And sometimes the response is, I shouldn't have to tell you what to do. Uh-huh. But in yes. this case, it can be really <laughs> helpful uh, for for all of us involved to sort of compromise some of those things. And, and long term, yeah. you know, look at the big picture where it can be, it can make things much easier, especially since intuitive eating is not the norm. It's not a natural thing that um, that society is encouraging or pushing. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, it's kind of counterculture in that way. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. I'll often give clients like kind of like a little bit of homework to talk with mm-hmm. their partner about what they need and, and what's helpful and not helpful. Or if I'm working with a teenager, I'll encourage them to share that directly with their parents. Sometimes I'll bring the parent into the session and facilitate that discussion because it's also a powerful way for the individual working on intuitive eating to learn how to use their voice and to express their wants and their needs and their desires because Mm -hmm. so much of that also plays out with food where we're not, we feel like we're not allowed to have what we really want or, you know, that what we want is somehow wrong or bad or invalid. And so this becomes like kind of a way to practice these life skills basically and to find your voice again. Yeah, that's such a good point. And well, and I think so many people who struggle with their relationship with food, especially severe struggles that have led them down either an eating disorder or very close to that, um, there's it's not just the food. There's usually something right. else that's involved also. And often those other uh, possibly mental health related struggles or other or traumatic experiences, those things yeah. can uh, 
can take away our voice also. And so that's what I love with intuitive eating is that in so many cases, it it translates into other areas of life where it helps people to, like you were saying, you kind of practice that, you know, give it, you know, using your voice with the food, but that may help you also to develop that in another area of your life where it's, whether it's when your interactions at work or with your, your children or your parents or other family members or friends and, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that carry over for other people in that way. Also, I'm sure you have yeah. too. It's one, it's one of my favorite parts about it. Absolutely. Because it's so yeah. cool to see how this translates to other areas of life. Yeah. I definitely did yeah. not see that when I used to uh, coach people on counting calories. <laughs> and yeah. I kind of think that didn't happen. Yeah. The scale change, but yeah, didn't their life didn't things. change. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, like, that was another thing I was going to mention of like, if the if the guy in the relationship, if we come back to this analogy of like the woman is trying to do intuitive eating and the guy is not totally on board with it, it's almost universally unhelpful for them to be talking about their own macros or their workout Mm -hmm. or their body composition. Like, it's fine if that's what they're doing. Like, that's their business. They can keep doing that if they want. But they it they don't need to be talking about it or to, like go talk to somebody else about those things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Join a Facebook group. There's plenty of those exactly. out there where yes, you there's can. There's plenty of spaces can... where you can talk about that all you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that kind of brings us to the next question I had for you, which was, you know, a lot of us guys uh, like to have specific things to do and, and not do, as I said, with rather than just kind of abstract concepts to sort of figure out ourselves, But assume I'm a, a man who is still unsure of the whole intuitive eating thing. And, and so I'm still tracking macros, counting calories, as you pointed out, intentionally trying to ma- manipulate my body weight, shape and size. What are some specific things that I could do to help a female uh, spouse or partner on their intuitive eating journey? Obviously, as you said, not talking about my own, but are there some other things that maybe come to mind Um, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, don't do this, but maybe things I could do. uh. Yeah. And we've kind of touched on some of this already. I mean, I think starting with just asking their partner, how can I support you? Mm -hmm. And just listen without trying to jump in and fix it. Just sit there and listen for a minute and even try to reflect back what you're hearing to make sure that you're getting it right. That's a good point. I like that. Yeah. Just have that conversation Um, also keep in mind that you guys may come to the conclusion that you don't need to talk about it together at all. Like you can each kind of do your own thing and it doesn't need to be a topic of discussion and each of you can find your own supportive people elsewhere and then just stay in your role as the partner who is there to, you know, love and accept and support. But the, like the food thing doesn't have to be this constant topic of conversation necessarily. And I get that that's hard because a lot of times you're eating together. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to negotiate some of that a little bit, but um, like, honestly, just staying in your own lane. And I often will tell people, whether it's partners or families, if I'm kind of working with a whole family, let's just not talk about diet or exercise or weight, period. Like let's challenge ourselves to find other things to talk about and to connect over, which when, when we actually try to put that into practice for some people, it's really hard. They're like, I don't know what else to talk about at dinner besides the food that we're eating or how I feel about it. (laughs) That's a good point. And you know, that could open up other conversations that are going to bring more meaningful connection because Talking about food is not generally particularly helpful unless it's yeah. with a coach or a counselor who's helping you work through those issues. And 
I mean, I'm sure that many of your sessions are like mine, where we often finish the session and we said nothing about food yep, uh, the entire exactly. time, had, no, had nothing to do with food. And yet you're a dietitian exactly, providing yeah. intuitive eating, co counseling and coaching for a person. And you didn't even talk about food. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's I've a good point. Kind of one uh, kind of tangible tip is sometimes I've had people, you can get these little decks of cards that are like conversation starters or like little simple games you can play at the dinner table. And this is great mm -hmm. if you if it's a family, because then everybody can like, you know, answer the question or you can play the little game. And sometimes that's a really lovely way to just spend some quality time together. So the, the yeah. coming together over food can be a beautiful thing. I mean, think about it like within dating, a lot of times we're mm -hmm. going out for dinner together. And so I don't want to make it that like food or being together or thinking about food is like all a bad thing. It's just, if you're like butting heads about it, it's not helpful. So. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's like with politics, you know, you totally. can, you talk about politics too much and it just becomes it, it just it really puts a, a wedge in that relationship and then it uh is really not helpful at all and so um what just like you wouldn't talk about therapy that you were going through mental health counseling you wouldn't talk about that constantly either right yes and um and so so yeah i guess a good a good thing would be for for us guys to be conscious of that and not try and and get that out of out of our um female spouses and partners but uh, would you say it's probably more, more helpful to let them guide that conversation unless they specifically have said, can you do this for me? But to kind of let them be the ones that guide that and, and, and trust that, that by not engaging in that topic, that you're not ignoring it, you're not being unsupportive, but that may be what they, they need. Yeah. Just that space. Yeah. And again, I, you know, I think it depends on the dynamic of the relationship, maybe letting them know like, hey, I am here to support you. If you ever need to talk about this, we totally can. Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to give you a lot of space and I'm not going to be making comments. But I think from time to time to just say, hey, how's it going? How are you feeling about yeah. things? Is there anything you want to talk through just so that they feel seen and that like you're aware that they're working on this thing, I think is fine. But again, that's not about the food. That's more about like, I see you as a person and I want to know how you're doing. Yeah. And that can really help with that development of that, uh, working through body image issues and those kinds mm -hmm. of things. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of these things translate into other areas. And for a person who some of their struggles may come from not being seen or not being heard, or when they were a child, having their food habits and behaviors and what they eat and how much dictated to them by, by the parents. And, and so, um, so those kinds of things could, could help w continue to work through that process. Um, because yeah, we know intuitive eating, yeah, it's just not like, it's not a diet where there's specific things that you do. It's, right. it's these principles that you're applying and, and, uh, applying to your life and learning to how to integrate them into your life. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and so much of it is like a mental and just like an internal thing for the person. It's not mm -hmm. a set of protocols like a diet yeah. would be. Yeah, that's that's good. That I, I, I'm glad you put you said that because I have heard it referred to as the intuitive eating protocol. Oh no, and it's not. No, no. It's not a protocol. And yeah, you know, I don't. <laughs> you don't hear that much. You usually hear that from people that don't that don't understand it. But yes. Um, and uh, it, it's really quite different than a protocol. It's uh, uh -huh. right. Yeah.
it's a bit more abstract than that. But um, yes, that's a good word for it is abstract. Yes. Yeah. But one thing I think that's great for us guys and and any women listening, this could be really helpful for you. Some of us really like, uh, I know me personally, one of the things that attracted me to intuitive eating over some of the other approaches was the 10 principles. You had these mm-hmm. this list of 10 specific principles that make up the intuitive eating framework. And for me, it, it helps to have that kind of model to look at. And so, um, you know, again, any guys listening it would be well worth reading the book and uh, and yeah, if nothing exactly. else too to to get a good solid understanding of of where your uh, spouse or your partner is mm-hmm. coming from in this right whether you ultimately agree with it or not like yep. to actually read the book and just understand okay what is it that we're dealing with here and then you can form mm-hmm. your own opinion but a lot of people don't even realize there is a book yeah. Like I had, I have people frequently who will come into my Facebook group and they're like, how do I get started? And I'm like, okay, first of all, have you read the book? You got to read the book first so that you know what, what this is all about yeah. here. And, or even just listening to a podcast like this, mm-hmm. um, or like one of your episodes where you just kind of briefly walked through each of the 10 principles, like just getting yeah. the bird's eye overview, I think would be super helpful. And again, really supportive. Yeah, that's great. That's a great idea. And uh, anybody else listening to just, I would encourage you to check out Katie's podcast. Uh, she has a really, a real gift for communicating these concepts in a very um, succinct and directed way, com- communicating oh, those concepts very clearly. And so that's something I've always appreciated in, in listening to her, her podcast. So, you know, combine our two together and you can, you can really you get a good, yeah. solid understanding of of intuitive eating and, and, uh, you know, how to, how to help support that. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about kids, but now I think let's go, let's talk at, um, our last couple of questions. Let's specifically talk about kids here. So these, these next couple of questions are for, for any of you dads listening out there, how, how can fathers support their kids and family overall around food and body image? Uh, if, you know, when mom's working on intuitive eating, so kind of specifically around the kid part. Yeah. So again, I would come back to like no diet or weight talk, especially in front of children, because Mm -hmm. when kids see or hear their adults in their lives dieting, it puts them at risk for dieting themselves. Or if kids develop a negative body image, which a lot of kids do, there's only so much we can do to prevent that especially with social media these days and all the comparison, but that negative body image can lead to dieting or attempts at healthy eating and try for a kid to try to eat healthy or lose weight. That's the number one predictor of them then developing an eating disorder. It's also the number one predictor of them, um, going above their growth curve. So basically gaining more weight than their body's meant to. And so it just spells all sorts of trouble. So don't be talking about your dieting. Don't be talking about weight, like try to keep it super, super neutral in the home. And if the mom is working on intuitive eating, there's a very good chance she's going to stumble across something called the division of responsibility. And so this term really goes hand in hand with intuitive eating. I've heard you mention it on your podcast before. And A lot of times these concepts of intuitive eating and and division of responsibility can feel really backwards and confusing to people when they first hear about it. So I would encourage dads, if mom's talking about this division of responsibility thing, to read up on it to understand what it is. It's, It's basically a framework for how parents can approach 
feeding their children so that their children grow up to be normalized eaters without food and body image problems. And it actually is kind of nice because it's a pretty concrete framework of like, this is your job as the parent to decide. Uh huh. Yes, there's a simplicity to it. Yeah, that you're deciding what is being served and when it's being served and where it's being served. And the child's job is to decide if they're going to eat because if they're not hungry, they don't have to. And then the child gets to decide what and how much they eat from what you've offered them. So there's this delineation and it's about not trying to control what your kid is eating, which can be terrifying because kids tend to eat in like really unbalanced ways that like at one meal, they only want, I don't know, the mashed potatoes. And then at the next meal, they might only want to eat the chicken. And it's fine because in the long run, it works itself out. But it's one of those things you have to trust the process. So. I think it's important that parents are aligned, though, in their approach towards food with their kids, because if they're getting conflicting information of mom saying, like, when we have dessert, we're serving it with the meal. It's part of the entire meal. They don't have to earn their dessert by eating certain bites of food. And the dad is going, that's insane. They need to eat their vegetable if they want to eat their dessert. That's going to create some problems. So mom and dad need to get on the same page about that. And I think, again, communication and having discussions about it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, getting on the same page because yeah. Yeah, providing that united front. I mean, that's that's like parent parenting 101 is totally, to be yes. on the united front. And, and, it's, and it applies here, too. And hearing what you said about that, which is not only is dieting in kids so if they pick up on that and and start changing that that it's a predictor of de the development of an eating disorder even if you've got that whole still fear of weight gain in your head it's also a predictor of that as well which so it's right. it's like it, it it's it's quite remarkable how disrupting the feeding relationship and getting away from an intuitive eating approach with uh, with feeding because kids have this natural intuitive eating capability if we don't mess them up. Right. Getting away from that um, has negative consequences in all yeah. kinds of directions. And, and uh, I think a lot of times when parents hear intuitive eating with kids, they think that that means they should just let their kids like eat whatever they want, whenever they want all day long. Yeah. And they're like, my kid's just going to eat fruit snacks and Cheez-Its all day long. Yeah, they are. That's where <laughs> the parent does have to provide some yeah. of the structure. And within mm -hmm. the structure, the kid gets to eat what they want. It's kind of like when they're little and you take them outside to play, like there's a radius in which they can play. They can't just yeah. run off wherever they want. Like we provide some structure and safety, but within that we give them some freedom. So it, again, it's, I think, also about, like, understanding what are we actually saying here? Because so much of people who, had, like, negatively react to the idea of intuitive eating, I think it's just misunderstanding it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and yeah, that's another thing I loved with the, the, uh, the division of responsibility. And anybody listening, the, Ellen Satter, uh, she has a number of books on the topic, and she goes into detail on how to implement that at different ages. So mm -hmm. you could look up uh, her resources there. But uh, that was another one for me. Again, my analytical mind, I loved having that that structure there, that division of responsibility, the my job, their job. And so it's much easier for me to say, oh, I'm stepping on their job. I need yeah. to step back. Oh, they're, they're encroaching on my job. I need to. And now it, it's not hard and fast rules. You know, there's, again, you know, responsive parenting sort of has or responsive feeding has uh, 
sort of it's sort of built on top of some of those principles and kind of guides some of that. So don't just turn this into you know yet another restrictive hardline kind yeah, of exactly. approach. Don't but, become militant with it. Or, exactly, yeah, it doesn't need to be the new diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, but I love having again that guidance that that specific. Mm-hmm. Okay, do this and don't do this, and that can be really helpful for well for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, well, carrying on from that last question, how how can fathers and other men who may be living in the household or or at least a constant presence in the home, like my dad was always around <laughs> my girls when they were younger, uh, how can they help prevent kids from having the food and body image problems as they then grow up? Yeah, such an important question, because the more we can prevent this stuff, the, the easier it is. It's harder to undo mm-hmm. it when you're like, you know, 50 or 60 years old trying to heal yeah. your relationship with food. So it makes me think of this book. It's called Father Hunger. It's a really, it's not really old, but it's not a recent book either. Father Hunger, written by a psychologist named Margot Main. And in it, she writes about how girls in particular need their dads all throughout childhood and adolescence and, of course, even adulthood. But that that is a really unique dynamic, father and daughter, because it teaches them what a loving and respectful relationship with a male figure looks like. And it's really common for dads or uncles or grandparents to either consciously or subconsciously kind of pull away when their daughters go through puberty. And it can be really uncomfortable for dads to, you know, have to talk about things like periods or dating or, or, you know, things like that, even to just like notice their daughter's body changing and she's not a little kid anymore. And when dad pulls away, it's really easy for the daughter to feel like there's something wrong with or bad about her body, even if she's not consciously aware that she's thinking or feeling that way. So much of this happens at a really subconscious level. And it's common for dads to like stop showing physical affection with their teens and their tweens, like to stop giving hugs and kisses. And so I'd encourage dads to just stay curious about their own discomfort with their daughters in particular, and to intentionally maintain connection and just spend quality time together, you know, go mini golfing or to the movies or a baseball game or walk the dog or run a 5k, like whatever you enjoy. It's great. Like time together, just continue to be there is huge. And again, not doing your own dieting, or if you are, don't be talking about it. Don't be making a big deal out of weight and physical appearance. And then when it comes to boys, it's also important that dads are loving and accepting no matter their body size or shape. And again, all of this translates to uncles and grandparents and things like that, too. But that no matter the boy's physical abilities, because I think for a lot of men who grow up and have body image issues, they'll often talk about how part of it was fueled by feeling like they weren't living up to expectations of what it means to be a man, like that they weren't athletic enough or strong enough or muscular enough. And some of that's fueled by our society, too. And so with boys, like, make it okay to talk about their bodies and make it okay to talk about how hard it is to grow up and be a teenager and, you know, to go through the awkwardness of all of that. And make it okay that, like, if they're not super into sports and athletics, that that's okay, too. Like, you know, foster their unique interests and don't make it that, like, they're somehow inadequate if their body doesn't live up to you know, society's standards. So, and again, I'm generalizing a little bit here, but 
you get the point. And then if you're ever worried about your kid's weight, because this is a lot of times where parents, I think their anxiety gets ramped up, especially if they feel like their kid is, is gaining too much weight. Do not say anything to them about it. There are very few times where I'm like that blunt about something. You do not say anything to your kid because that can screw them up for their whole life. It's the well-intending comments from a parent or a physician that can really set that that disordered eating, negative body image process into process. And so if you're worried, it's okay that you're worried. I think it's appropriate to ask questions because sometimes changes in weight can represent that something's going on either medically, metabolically, or it could be emotionally something's going on. It could be early signs of disordered eating. The kid could be sneaking food. You know, there's so many things that would need to be ruled out, but that needs to be brought up with the doctor without the kid in the room. And the kid should never, ever, ever be placed on a diet. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics says that dieting is absolutely contraindicated in children because it sets them up either for growth problems because they're not getting the nutrition that they need or eating disorders. And the most likely outcome is that they are going to actually gain weight from it and not lose weight and be healthier. So that's a lot, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the part about the weight thing. Yeah, I'm so glad you did cuz that is that's that's so important. That's a natural reaction, you know, cuz yeah. our society is constantly pushing a, the idea that, you know, weight above a certain number means unhealthy, bad, you got to deal with it immediately and so you you start attacking the weight, you never even figure out what it was that was it's like you you start attacking the weight on the kid and and it's just a result that of They've been bullied at school and, and they've been yeah. they've been um, nurturing that that emotional distress with food. And by dealing with the bullying, you actually deal with the root cause and you don't have to put them on a diet. You get that under control. Right. And then that 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 negative thing that was you know contributing to that spike is dealt with. And that's one of the things that and again, I'd highly encourage you if um, Ellen Satter has a book called Your Child's Weight, and it specifically yes. addresses that. And she talks about looking at growth charts and, you know, if your child has always been at the top, top end of it, then that may be normal for them. But if you see a massive spike up or down, then that could be indicative of some kind of a disruption that occurred. And you want to, you want to identify the disruption. You don't want to just throw them on a diet or force feed them if they've lost weight. Yeah. To ask your, the question, why has this disruption actually Mm -hmm. happened? And that's always the first thing I do with any client under the age of 20, actually, is I will pull the growth charts and say, let's look at your body's growth pattern and look at where you're at in relation to that. Because Mm -hmm. if you're right where your body has always been, then we need to just work on accepting that. But if we're way off of there, we need to explore why, because usually that's just kind of an indicator that a disruption has occurred and we can get really curious and non-judgmental about that and fix mm-hmm. the root issue. Yeah. 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 It's so important. Yeah. Well, that is, uh, wow, this has been a great discussion. I think it's probably good we start kind of wrapping things up. So um, I did want to give you an opportunity. Do you have any kind of words of wisdom, insight that you'd like to share to kind of summarize and wrap up uh, this conversation? Mm. Words of wisdom. I would say to think of all of this, no matter where you're coming from, as a bit of an experiment that we all have to figure out what's right for ourselves and for our bodies. And that's going to look different for each person. 
And each person comes from a different set of lived experiences with that and with their bodies and their body image and their relationship with food. And to know that one person's journey is not going to look the same as another and um, to just be compassionate with ourselves and with each other about that and that it it doesn't have to look the same for each person. So even if someone listening is not totally into this concept, like that's okay. We're not mad at you. We're not going to like shame you for it or anything like that. It's, you, you know, it's. You can agree to disagree and still be supportive, and that can be a wonderful thing, and that's totally fine, too. So I just think humanity could use a little bit more kindness and understanding of each other in general. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's great. I love that. I love that. It's a good way to wrap things up. So um, why don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? And also, I know if they listen to your podcast, you have like an offer at the end of each one for some really cool resource. So that I love that about, uh, about your podcast. Even if, if people just listen to find out what the cool stuff is at the end, they, they're going to get a lot of value out of that. It's usually, I have like a free resource. So yeah, you might as well. Yeah. So I hang out on social media in two places, mainly, um, on Instagram, I'm just at katieharvey.rd and that's Katie with a Y. And then over on Facebook, I have this really cool group called Intuitive Eating Made Easy. And it's just such an awesome space where people who are working through this are there to ask questions and share experiences and support each other. And it's such a beautiful, welcoming community. So if you're at all interested, I encourage you to come check it out, even if you're just a fly on the wall. And then if anybody wants to check out a free resource, just go to nondietacademy.com forward slash hunger. I think that's the best one for someone who's maybe kind of, I mean, honestly, anyone, um, it's going to be relevant no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. So it's just a hunger and fullness guide and talks to you about how you can really get like reconnected with your body's signals. Yeah, I've looked at that. It's a it's a really good resource. You did a great job putting that together. Oh, so yeah, definitely go go get that resource. And your Facebook group is that for men and women or just women? It's mostly women in there, but I have some guys, and they're oh, okay. absolutely more than welcome. Yes, great. Well, that yep. sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to to uh, share your vast amount of uh, wisdom and insight and knowledge in this area. And I definitely encourage anybody listening to go. Follow her on social media, join that group, uh, go check out uh, those free resources and check out her podcast also. Again, that is the, oh, what's the name of it again? Rebuilding (laughs) Trust with Your Body. It's a mouthful. Rebuilding Trust with Your Body. Yes. Okay. I I, I just suddenly had a a, uh, brain block there. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, thanks again. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a joy to be here. I love these types of conversations. So I'm happy to do it. Yeah, I think they're really helpful. So thanks again. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks for joining us. And we look forward to another episode uh, soon. 